Good morning to you all. God bless you. Thanks so much for coming to join us this morning at church. Uh, my name is Matt Brocker. Uh, Pastor Jeff is out of town. He's in Florida right now doing a conference. So I'm glad he and others are out moving about the country. Make sure that they get those airline pilots back into the swing of things and you know, before I ever get on a plane, that kind of thing. I'm just kind of nervous to be one of the first ones. Anyways, uh, so he's helping with a conference. Uh, Pastor Troy just finished a four-week series um, in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, and, and that was awesome, so thanks so much for that, Troy. Uh, next week, when Jeff returns, we're going to start the book of 2 Corinthians, and I'm, I'm really excited about that. That's an awesome book. It's going to be a great time as a church to get into it. Uh, so be praying for Jeff as he's away, he and Erla. I think they might get to sneak over to a beach and, and have some, some time away, which would be awesome and well-deserved for them. So uh, hopefully they, they get to do that. I'm going to move the... I don't want to accidentally drink hand, hand sanitizer. That would be bad. That'd be bad. Uh, today we're going to be in, in the book of Colossians. So go ahead and turn to Colossians chapter 3. Uh, we're going to get into that in just a moment. Um, and while you're making your way to Colossians, aside from these individuals giving their lives to Christ and following in believers' baptism, have, have any of you heard any good news lately? Like, it just seems like every time you turn on the news or get on social media or whatever, it's, it's just like somebody just, somebody flushed the toilet and everything is just spiraling downwards, right? It seems to be worse every time, and, and man, I... Uh, again, other than being able to come in here and, and join you folks in, in early May, most of the news has been negative and, and disappointing and concerning. And, and so as a church, because of all of those things and because of the signs of the times that we're seeing, recently we've been looking at end times. We've been looking at, you know, are we close? Is it time? Is it going to happen? Are we, are we about to get raptured out of here? And, and, and through that study, we've found, yeah, it, it absolutely genuinely could be any day now, right? Which those of us that know Lord and Savior are like, hallelujah, let's get out of here before, before that thing keeps swirling, right? I, I know I don't always smell that great, but I don't want to go that way. So it's, it's awesome some of the things that we've seen. We know that it's close. We know that we're, we're close to that jumping off point. And, and recently I was reading in Mark chapter 13, it should be on the screen, verses 7 and 8, and it says, "Ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, and be not troubled, for such things must needs be. But the end shall not be yet. Now, we know that end is the second coming of Christ, which is something that happens after the rapture, but verse 8 says, for nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be earthquakes in diverse places. There shall be famines and troubles. These are the beginnings of sorrows. So, personally, he says, be not troubled. This is just the beginning. I'm like, how, should, how can I not be troubled? That, it's bad now. Is, is it going to get worse? And so, man, we've had a lot of chaos recently. Uh, what, what does he mean this is just the beginning? And I started thinking about just this specific part, the beginning part of that, where it says wars and rumors of wars. And again, every time you turn the news on, it's nothing but terrible, terrible news. It's nothing but political twisting of the truth. And I thought maybe, just maybe, that's, that's kind of what this rumors of wars might actually end up being. Because what is a rumor of a war? Is it, are they fighting or are they not fighting? Well, they're, oh, they're fighting. They're definitely fighting. And you look outside and nobody's fighting. and I don't know. What is the truth? 
It's hard to know. CNN claims to be the most trusted name in news facts. <laughs> How about that for a claim to fame? Fox used to say fair and balanced. Fair to who? Who's doing the balancing here? Right? They, they, they kind of now say, well, we'll report you decide. Oh, thank you. NBC claims to report what you want, when you want it. Well, how did you know? <laughs> this is like Burger King. I get to have it my way, right? I want my news like I want my burgers. And MSNBC is at least honest in their manipulation. They say, this is who we are. <laughs> well, thank you for your honesty. I appreciate at least that part you're honest in. Right? I'm not trying to step on anyone's favorite news media and, and, and get, on your, get your uh, you know, political propaganda ears going. We're not, we're not going there today. The point I'm saying is you don't know where the truth is. And, and when chaos is happening and you don't have truth, how do you feel? Worse, it's chaos and I'm scared. And I don't know what to do because I don't know who's telling me the truth. And that's a bad feeling. And so the reason we're going to look in Colossians is because we want the opposite feeling. We want to know how to have peace. We want to know how to respond in chaos. And that's, that's what I've titled this message. And so why don't you go ahead and look in Colossians chapter 3. We'll read from verse 9 to, to verse 17. There's, there's way too much stuff in even this passage we're going to cover to unpack everything. So forgive me if we don't cover every single detail of what these verses cover. And we'll build kind of on the context here in just a minute. But verse 9 says, Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian or Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, Holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body. And be ye thankful... Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in our hearts, or your hearts, to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Before we get into the notes and the, the blanks and all that stuff, let's, let's go before the Lord and ask him to, to teach us some things. Lord, Thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this book of Colossians. Thank you for these believers and their faith and, and Paul's faithfulness to write to them. Lord, I, I'm always amazed that you know, the enemy tried to stop Paul and you just allowed Paul to write letters that all of us 2,000 years later can benefit from. And so, Lord, I pray today we would benefit, uh, that you would give us the peace that passes understanding, that you would help us to have truth, even when the rest of the world seems to be all rumor. Lord, I pray that you give us clear eyes and help us to, to see very clearly and to hear very clearly what it is you have to say for us, to us today. We love you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so 
this is a great passage, and, and it, again, it has way more than we can unpack, but we're going we're gonna to get into to verse 9. Before verse 9 is, is the instruction for us to set our affection on things above, to focus on eternal things, things that have eternal value like the souls of men, the Word of God, and those types of things. And because we're going to set our affections on that, we're instructed to put off the old man and the deeds of the old man. Well, that's who we were before we were in Christ, right? And so we, we skipped ahead to verse 9, and the thing that we need to begin with on point one on your sheet is we need to begin by setting aside the false dichotomy. Okay, well, fancy word. I barely know what it means. No, no a false dichotomy is a false dilemma. It's like watching the news today. There, there appear to be two options, but there's only one that's morally right, quote-unquote. There's only one that's intelligent. So there's not really two answers. There's only one answer. For example, when this whole COVID thing started, what did they say? If you love your grandma, you'll stay indoors. If, so the dilemma is, I love Nana. And I don't want her to be harmed by this, so I can't go outdoors, right? It's, it's a false del- It's not the whole truth. There are other options than just the two options, okay? It's a false dilemma. The mask thing. Yes, there are, there are reasons, there are times, there are places, there are scenarios to wear a mask. It's fine. You've got to make that adult decision on your own. But, but the dilemma is not wear a mask because you care about other people, if you don't wear a mask, well, we can see your face. We know you're wicked, right? It's, 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 it's a false dilemma. It's not the whole truth. There are other options in there. And again, be, be wise. Care about people. If, if you know somebody is at risk, well, then care about that individual, right? Use wisdom, your intelligence, and your heart to make some good decisions for other people. Those are, those are just examples of false dilemmas, Right? This is not just the subtle play of politicians. This, this is the realm that Satan operates in as well. Right? He, he's going to want you to believe you only have two options, but one of them is not a good option, so I have to go with the other one. Right? In, in the garden with, with Eve, it's not, it's not just that, that God doesn't want you to, to be harmed. He doesn't want you to be wise. He doesn't want you to be like a God. And so... We, we don't want to pass up good stuff. You know, I, I want to be wise like a God. I, I, want, I want that, right? And so the false dilemma is that God was holding out on her, and she's missing out on something. Another example might be just your day-to-day temptation. How many of you have ever felt temptation and felt in the midst of that temptation that it's just a matter of time and I'm going to mess this thing up? Anybody ever felt that? That's a lie. That's a, that's a false dichotomy. The, the enemy is telling you, you're, you're just exhausted by fighting this thing. Why don't you just give in? Because you're going to give in anyways. That's a lie. Amen. That's a false dichotomy. That's, that's not the only options. Because Christ bled and died so that you don't have to. You don't have to give in to those things. So, letter A, we have to put off the old man's prejudice. We have to put off this, this false dilemma, this, this prejudice that's already in place. Put off the old man's prejudice. It's not just the deeds that we have to put off. We have to put off his mindset. Verse 9 and 11 again, 9 through 11 again says, Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. 
Again, the deeds of the, the old man are, are listed before verse 9. We, we skipped ahead over those. He says in verse 10, And we ha- or have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge, after the image of him that created him. The new man that we're putting on is Christ. It's not just the things that Jesus, you know, what would Jesus do? No, we're actually putting on Christ and then acting like him. Verse 11 says, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free. Christ is all and in all. So what does this mean? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 gives us a little bit more understanding. Verses 14 and 15 says, for the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge. And if one died for all, then we're all dead. And, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. God created all mankind. Christ died for all mankind. There are no exceptions. There are no colors. There are no prejudices that existed in him dying. He didn't have a pre-selected group that he died for, like another false dichotomy religious system would want you to believe. He died for all because all needed him to. It's, it, we can't hang on to prejudice from the past because Christ eliminated it. 2 Corinthians 5.17, further on in this same passage, it says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is what? A new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. We, we are to have no prejudice because we aren't who we were before. He changed us. Right? We're, we're something new and we have no connection to the old man's preferences. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 puts it this way, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. It sounds a lot like verse 11, where we just saw those comparing and contrasting, actually, groups. These are groups that don't get along. There are prejudices against one another, right? Jews and Greeks, they don't get along. Bond and free, one thinks they're better than the other. He says in Christ... None of those titles exist. It's something different altogether. So if we're all one and the same in Christ, who are you better than? You're better off than those who don't know him yet, but you're better than no one because you're the same as everyone else, because you are in Christ. And your whole life, your whole goal, your entire reason for being here is to put him on display. Not to stand against or different than anybody else. So you may still have some prejudices, but I want you to know that God does not agree with you. He disagrees very strongly. Because over and over and over again in Scripture, it tells us that God is not a respecter of persons. He died for everyone. And everyone needs the gospel. So on your sheet, we have it this way. We need to see through the enemy's lies and put him off. We need to see through the lies and put the enemy off, put the old man off. So once this happens, or, or maybe at the same time this is happening, we have letter B, we, we need to prioritize others. You move away from your prejudices and your preferences so that you can prioritize other people and build other people up. We see in verse 12, it says, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved. That's who we are. Bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, 
long-suffering. This is what Paul tells us about in Philippians chapter 2. Verses 4 through 8 says, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. This isn't talking about, you know, comparing yourself with, you know, what's the saying? Got to keep up with the Joneses. Keep up with the neighbors. They got all the cool toys. No, it's not looking at their stuff like that. It's being concerned with their concerns. Being concerned with their life and their struggles and, and, and their victories. It's caring more about somebody else than you are about yourself. Verse 5 says, he goes on, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon the form of a servant. You, you can't get a bigger contrast than what the Lord did for us. Verse 8, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So Christ displayed all of the virtues that we listed in Colossians 3.12 in this passage. In doing so, he transitions from the form of God on the throne to this earth, not just humbling himself to become a man, humbling himself completely all the way, taking our sins and dying the death of a criminal. He went the extreme for us. He's displayed all of those virtues. Romans 15 Verses 1 through 3 says, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak, and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. Our focus should be to build into the lives of others. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. You see, choosing to prioritize others is not just putting off the old man. It's putting on the new. It's putting on Christ. Choosing to prioritize others is putting on Christ. So Paul takes this one step further. He doesn't doesn't just stop there and say, you know, don't do this, do this. He says, oh, when someone hurts your feelings, when someone steps on your toes, when someone offends you, you have to forgive them and you have to love them. He says it Verse, letter C, we're going to say perfect one another. And the way we do that is in verse 13 and 14, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Above all these things put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Here's the, here's the qualifier. As Christ forgave you, so also do ye. So there's... Basically, the, the definition, anytime you're having a struggle forgiving somebody, the instruction to us is always to forgive as Christ forgave us. Well, how did he do that? Romans 5.8 says, but God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So his forgiveness was, was done before we ever deserved it. So someone's offended you, and they haven't asked for forgiveness. They don't deserve it. But as Christ forgave, he forgave ahead of time. Before I was even born, before I had the chance to sin, before I had the chance to not choose him or not follow him, he he chose to forgive. He forgave before we asked. And he, he forgave completely. Now, reconciliation is where the two parties come back together. The forgiveness is already taken care of. 
All you've got to do is ask. And that's the way we ought to forgive. Man, it'd be awesome if, if you and I could be friends again, reconciled. I have to choose to forgive first. You have to choose to forgive as well. He forgave before we asked. He took it all completely on himself. Romans 12.10, be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love. In honor, preferring one another. Again, this is putting others first. It's how you forgive. It's how you love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Ephesians chapter 4 says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. How? With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. If we look back in verse 14 of Colossians 3, Paul says that charity or love is the bond of perfectness. Now, this is, this is perfect as in mature or complete. This is not, you know, perfect and flawless. It's, it's, it's a different definition. When we put others first, it bonds us together, right? You, you want to be bound together with your church brothers and sisters? Be prepared to be offended. Before you're prepared to be offended, be prepared to forgive, because you get to choose to forgive. There's no conditions, especially if you're going to forgive as Christ forgave. There's no conditions attached. You just choose to do it. The false dichotomy often leads to selfish and sinful decisions, doesn't it? And that's exactly what the enemy desires. He wants us to think there's only one choice. I might as well do this. And then when you start acting that way, like if you believe that temptation is sin, you're already against what God says about it. You're only one more step from other sins and other sins and other sins. You, you have to stick with what God says. Don't let Satan trick you into thinking there's, there's only one option. So we, we have to put aside that false dichotomy, that false dilemma, and we need to set up the true solution, point two. In verses 15 and 16, Paul says to let peace rule and let the world dwell. Normally, at least today, in this day and age, we say let, we're, we're saying something passive. We're saying to allow something to happen. So how do you allow peace to rule? Well, that's not exactly the way this passage works. I'm currently trying to build a, a playhouse for my kids, and I'm putting a little roof on the top, and I, because I'm an engineer, I... I like to just think I know what I'm doing, and I designed it myself, and whatever. And you know, the, everybody else is making it beautiful, and all I can think of is structure, structure. You know, where does this gusset transfer the weight into that post? And it's just, yeah, amen. Thanks, Nick. <laughs> so, like, I, I used to know some of those things, and I'm trying to think that way. And man, I got out the Pythagorean theorem. Everybody, everybody, cheer! Right, my kids are excited. Math, yay! You've got right triangles. You need to know the angles and the, the side length. It was fantastic. I was loving it. In, in, well, I'm going somewhere with this. In, in math, in, in algebra, you have what you call variables, right? A, B, and C, and they're the unknowns of the formula. Well, when you're filling out this stuff, you know some of them, so you say let A equal such and such. Let B equal this. I'm not saying, well, I'm going to allow A. No, I'm determining. Right? I'm making a decision. I'm making a determination. I'm going to say, no, this is going to be this. 
and that is going to be that, so the resultant is whatever, whatever C is, right? A squared plus B squared equals C squared. That's your Pythagorean, so don't forget that. You'll need it someday. Anyways, it's a different use of the term let, isn't it? I'm making a determination, and that's what's happening in this passage. If I'm going to let the peace of God rule, and I'm going to let the Word of God dwell, I'm determining those things. I'm not just saying, okay, God, go ahead. Let me have it. Bring on that peace. You go ahead and put your, put your words in here, right? You have to determine to do it. You have to actively make those decisions. So letter A, the peace of God is to be on the throne of your heart. You're not just supposed to let it in. He says to let it rule. Verse 15, let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. So not only is, is the peace to rule in your body, it's to rule in this body as well. We've already talked about forgiveness. Forgiveness rules because peace rules, because that's what we're called to, is what he says. We're called as believers to peace, not, not just to be peaceful with others, but then again, also to have peace on the inside. So how's everybody doing with that? You all feeling peaceful in your seats, feeling good? At least we're on the inside today, right? It's crazy out there. It's good to come in and sit down with brothers and sisters in Christ, isn't it? So maybe a better way of asking that question is, is the peace inside of you dependent upon the peace outside of you? Because those are very different. And, and the way we see this is that God has promised peace inside of you regardless of the circumstances around you. That doesn't mean you're not ever going to be worried. That doesn't mean you're not ever going to have anything to be afraid of. But in general, when you need peace, you can go and get it from the Lord. Philippians 4, verses 7 through 9 says, Be careful for nothing. We've, we've talked about this. When this whole COVID thing happened, we, we spent a lot of time in this passage. Be careful for nothing. Be full of care and anxiety and worry and fear for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true. Okay, so now, I don't know what I can get from the media but I know for sure what I can get from this book. Right? No matter who's lying to me on the outside, I know God's not. Right? Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, is God just? He's the only one. Whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and check this out, the God of peace will be with you. So not too long ago, and I'm not, I'm not saying names, but, but a local pastor, I, you know, somebody shared a video and I watched it or listened and a local pastor was saying, you know, I just, I can't have perfect peace because I don't have perfect faith. That's not what the verse says, does it? He didn't say, if you have perfect faith, 
Then I'll give you the peace that passes understanding. He said, why don't you just lay it down at my feet and I'll take care of the details. He, he's, he, he's told us we need the faith the size of a mustard seed. And he, he's got the details. That's another false dichotomy from an individual who's supposed to be speaking for God. We'll move on. Notice it says the, the God of peace with you. The peace of God comes first when you are with the, the God of peace. Or you're at peace with God. Some of you, maybe, maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You are currently not at peace with God. Because peace with God comes through Christ. And only through Christ. So when you can come to peace with Jesus Christ, you'll have the rest of it. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So ask yourself, are you the son or daughter of Jesus Christ? Is he your Lord and Savior? Colossians 1.20 says, And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. John 14, 27 says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So his peace, he says, is not like what the world has to offer. What, what does the world have to offer? Self-help programs and motivational speeches and medications. Many of which are to condition you not to feel anything. Not just not have fear. So, so ask yourself, is, is numbness peace? Is, is not feeling, is that peace? I think those are different. Because he says, I'm not offering what the world's offering. Let not your heart be troubled. That's what I'm offering. That's the peace that I want. This world doesn't have the answers. I, I say this all the time. Do things the world's way and get the world's results. Do things the Lord's way and you'll get his results. John 16, says, These things I have spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. Right? We, we see that. It's out there. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So our world is in, is in constant trouble. We can have peace in our hearts in the midst of whatever is out there. That's the promise. Back in our passage for this morning, Paul says that, that peace should, should rule over our hearts. If, if left to ourselves, we almost always will have the opposite outcome. You, you guys know the phrase, follow your heart? Isn't that lovely? That sounds so good. It makes for really good, like, chick flicks and, you know, TV dramas. Just follow, just follow your heart, man. You'll figure it out. That's not what the Lord said. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things. Yeah, go ahead and follow that guy. And desperately wicked. Now, we know things that are wicked, have you ever dealt with somebody or something that is desperately wicked? 
that would do anything to get what they want, that's your heart. And that's my heart. It, it, it's ugly without the Lord. Verse 10, he says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Man, it, it can't be trusted on its own. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Man, the psalmist is saying, lead me away from what? My heart. This world is saying, follow your heart. You'll find peace on the other side of the rainbow or whatever, whatever it is. You know? it, it's there, just keep going. You'll, you'll figure it out. The psalmist says, no, I know what my heart's made of. You need, Lord, would you lead me away from that and what it's capable of? I need peace, and every time I trust my heart, I don't end up making decisions that end up in peace. Ever been there? I have. So get it this way on your sheet. Don't follow your heart. Make your heart follow the Word. And peace will rule. It's the opposite. So how exactly do I do that, you're saying? I'm really glad you asked, because that's letter B. The Word of Christ is to be on the throne of your mind. And so, peace of God is going to rule in your heart. The Word has to rule in your mind first. Verse 16 says, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So, what exactly is the Word of Christ? He says, The Word of Christ should dwell in you richly. John 5, 46, Christ says, Had you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. And we're going to see that the word of Christ is not just the words that Christ spoke. It's the words written and spoken of Christ. It's, it's both directions. Looking throughout all that Moses wrote, you can't find the name Jesus anywhere. You, you can see Joshua, which is the, the Hebrew equivalent, but he's never talking about the Messiah. The word Messiah, Christ, it's, it's not in there. So what's he talking about? Christ is there. He's in picture and type. Right? The Old Testament history, the actual events are pointing to Christ in the future from those events. When Abraham takes his only son, Isaac, to sacrifice, he pictures God's only son who was sacrificed for our sins. When Abraham explains to his son that God will provide himself a lamb, we see the lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world when John the Baptist points him out in the future. And when they find a ram caught in a thicket, we see Isaac's saving grace wearing a crown of thorns, pointing to Jesus Christ again. And every story, over and over and over, Moses wrote of Jesus Christ. The words of Christ are the Word of God. It's the Bible. All of it is about the King. All of it is about His kingdom. It's all pointing to Him. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 refers to the Word of Christ as the mind of Christ. Who hath known the mind of the Lord that we may instruct Him? But we have the mind of Christ. We have written Scripture. So why do we need the Word of God in us in the first place? 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? 
So we need to put the Word of God in, or the Word of Christ, in where the, the Holy Ghost is. Why? John 14, 26 says, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things. You've got to put the, the information and you've got to put the Word of God in where the Spirit of God resides, and he's going to teach you something when you do that. Not only is he going to teach you something, it says he will bring all things to your remembrance. Whatsoever I have said unto you, the words of Christ. The Spirit of God always works in conjunction with the Word of God. They are always in agreement. The Spirit of God is always going to work in conjunction with the Word of God. It's interesting, the Spirit of God is not going to miraculously bring to remembrance something you never put in there in the first place. So, this is a good time to talk to disciplers. Disciplers, how's your disciples doing memorizing those verses? Well, you know, he, he means well, but it's really hard, you know, the older you get, the harder it is, I haven't memorized anything in such and such a time, and you know, whatever. I've got great news for you. Satan plays fair, he'll wait, he, he won't hit you blindsided until you're ready with your verse. Okay, some sarcasm there if you're missing that. Look, we put the verses in because we need them. Your disciple needs that verse. And when temptation comes, the Spirit's going to say, hey, remember what you learned? Remember what you put in there? Let's access that now. Let's, let's put that into action. Let's, let's bank on those promises from the God who cannot lie, who, who said those things that you put in there. The Word of Christ is dwelling in there because you put it in there, and the Spirit of God will call that to remembrance when you need it. If you don't put it there, it doesn't do you any good. It serves no purpose. Colossians 1, verses 9 through 10, or 9 and 10 says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Where's that going to come from if you're not putting the word of God in there? That ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. How do you know to please him if you don't know what he said? being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. In verse 28 of chapter 1, he says, Whom we preach, warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. What wisdom are you going to teach? Don't get it from your own heart. We've already seen that. Don't, don't, don't let it be your own ideas. It, it better be God's ideas. It better be God's word. And he says, not only should it dwell in us, the reason we say that the Word should be on the throne of our mind is because it's going to dwell there richly, is what the verse says. Over in Titus, this word richly is translated abundantly. I think you guys know what both of those words mean, but he says it's shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. The Word shouldn't just live there, it should have an abundant presence. What that means, it should have a preeminent position. God's Word isn't just supposed to be there, it's supposed to be there in abundance. And so, the Word doesn't simply dwell there, He gets the head of the table, right? He doesn't just get dressed there, He wears the pants, right? He's going to make decisions, and when you sit down for leisure, He's got the clicker. The, the Word 
is making the decisions. The Word is there in abundance. He gets preeminence. He's in charge. Ephesians 5.19 says, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. See, we approach Christianity like, man, this is just this list of things I cannot do. But when the Word is in you, in abundance, dwelling there, the result is worship. The, re- the result is, is actually something wonderful. You know, Christianity is just, you know, praise the Lord, it'll get better when we go to heaven. We're missing out because he says right now we can be worshiping in our heart to the Lord. The word of Christ rules your mind. The conversation of your life worships the Lord. Whether you're speaking to yourself as in Ephesians 5 or teaching others that we see in Colossians 3. There's an important principle that that I want to state before we move to the last point. Your mind is the gatekeeper of your heart. We talked about this a lot in the well. Your mind is the gatekeeper of heart. What you put in will will determine how your heart feels. You see, the world says follow your heart first and you'll get all your answers. We, We know that's not true. We've tried it. What you put in your mind determines how your heart feels. Well, my heart, I don't really feel like doing that. I'm going to do it anyway because it's what I'm supposed to do and it's supposed to be there in abundance. And when it's there in abundance, my heart changes. And it's a phenomenal miracle. It's an awesome experience. If the peace is going to rule your heart, the word must rule your mind first. So let's go back to verse 17 and finish our passage. The last point on your sheet is the name of Christ is to be on the throne of your life. So peace is going to rule in your heart. The word is going to rule in your mind. And everything else gets the name of Christ stamped on it. The name of Christ is on the throne of your life. Verse 17, whatsoever ye do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Everything we do. Mark 12, 30 says, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. That's where the peace rules. And with all thy soul and thy mind, where the word dwells. And with all thy strength, where your actions show the Lord to the world around you. This is the first commandment. Later in chapter 3 of Colossians, the passage we're in now, verse 23 says, Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Do it with meaning. Do it on purpose. That's the result of the word dwelling in me. I'm going to live on purpose for his glory. 2 Corinthians 10, 11 says, Let such an one think this, that such as we are in word by letters when we are absent, such will we be also indeed when we are present. Paul's saying, I'm not just a man who talks a lot and talks a good game. The actions, when I get, when I get there and we'll see each other face to face, you'll see. I'm doing everything that I can to live out what I'm saying here. I'm, I'm attached to the word of God. It's in me. It rules me. My heart is at peace, and you're going to see my actions show all of that is true. And look, you can can put on a good show, you can say all the right words, and, and, and honestly, you can probably fool me, 
It's not a big accomplishment. I'm, I'm gullible sometimes. But it'll serve you no purpose, and it'll give you no peace if you just lie to a pastor. Good job. Get what you want. Get a, get a position where people notice and recognize you, whatever. There's no peace there. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. And my, my whole life should be about glorifying God. It's not about what I can or can't do. I get to put on display the name of Jesus Christ. I, I get to proclaim the name that the entire universe and beyond is going to bow their knee to one day. We are privileged to carry the message of the gospel. We are privileged to be named little Christ, which the word Christian means. We get to put his name on display. So what does the world see when they see you? When people look at your life, what do they determine is true about Christ? And this is whether you're in the midst of chaos or not. What do they say? What do they determine? They get, they get the opportunity to judge what is true and what is not true about your Savior by the way we live our lives. We're going to wrap up here in just a second. Earlier, I, I talked about forgiveness of Christ. And if you're here today, and maybe you're watching online, and, and you've never made the decision to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, you can have temporary peace, but without peace with God through Christ, that's a really bad end for you. And so, why don't you just take care of that right now? What are you waiting for? Jesus Christ has died to take your sins and forgive you and give you eternal life. Today is the perfect day for you to respond to all the chaos in the world by turning your life over to him and accept his gift of forgiveness. The way you do that is in Romans chapter 10. Verses 9 and 10 says, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. He starts off, he says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, he's not just a guy from history. He's not just a great prophet. He's the Lord. And salvation comes through recognizing that fact. And you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. That's what he did for us. He, he died for our sins so that we could be forgiven he rose victorious from the grave and is now seated at the right hand of the Father, waiting to return for us. It says, With the heart man believeth unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And again, this is for everyone. There's no prejudice. Romans 10.13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He died for everyone. 
So for the rest of us, what's, what's next? We've had coronavirus. We almost had murder hornets. We, we currently have some very severe racial tensions and rioting. It's, it's getting apparently worse. It's, it's dangerous out there. It's chaotic. There's political drama at every single turn. Everything that happens, politicians are going to leverage. You know that, right? This is not our first day. They're going to make it sound worse than it is. They're going to make it sound not as bad as it is. We don't know. We have to turn to the truth for peace. We can't just assume everything's going to go back to normal. And we can't just bunker down in fear until everything goes back to normal. What are we going to do to respond to the chaos? This passage isn't found in the midst of a church responding to massive turmoil. Every church had its challenges. Paul was in prison writing to the church. He had turmoil, but, but the church itself wasn't necessarily. The circumstances around us are crazy. The answers for any circumstance are the same. He doesn't prescribe, okay, act this way when things are crazy, and when everything calms down, act this way. No, it's, it's always this response to let the Word of God rule, to let the peace of God rule, to have all of your actions put on the, display the name of Christ. And when things are crazy, you have a better opportunity of somebody seeing it. When everything's peaceful, nobody cares what you have. It's when it's chaotic that it matters. We have to see through the lies. We have to let peace rule. We have to let the Word of God rule. So that all we do puts Christ on display for everyone else to see. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, again, we're, we're so thankful that you give us the answers. The answers that we need are in your word, and they're true, and they're what we can count on every single time. You're faithful, and we, we are indebted. I pray that as we go about life, and, and who knows what's next, and we'll know how to respond. We'll dive into your word, because it's true. We'll let it give peace to our hearts. And we'll show everybody else that, that they need that same peace desperately. I pray you would open doors for us. I pray that your name would, would be glorified in the things that we do and say. And Lord, if, if there's any sin in our lives, would you show us? Would you help us take care of that and, and, and cast those things off and put those things off? Help us to see the legitimate truth and to walk according to it. We love you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.